This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is Crack-A-Lackin' Hardware Knox listeners? I am Dan Pavalli coming at you this time without my co-host Adam Frommel. I am, however, super excited, as always, to be joined by frequent guest and friend of the podcast, Christian Winfield of the New York Daily News. He covers the Nets and the NBA at large for them. Follow him on Twitter at Chris Blashed. That's at K-R-I-S-P-L-A-S-H-E-D. He's a fantastic follow, great writer. As you can tell, we're going to be talking Brooklyn Nets today. A lot of stuff has happened. We did record this before Blake Griffin officially signed with Brooklyn, but we recorded it as if Blake Griffin was going to sign with the Nets. So it all worked out. And this is a nice little deep dive coming out of the all-star break of the concerns, what we've seen so far from Brooklyn, what to watch for moving forward, some trade deadline stuff as well. Great podcast as always. Before we get started, just a couple housekeeping notes. A reminder to continue subscribing and downloading every episode of Hardwood Knocks wherever you get your podcasts. And regardless of where you get your podcasts, please head over to iTunes, search Hardwood Knocks, throw us that five-star rating, and write a review. Cannot overstate enough how much those help us. Go to YouTube, search Hardwood Knocks, subscribe to our channel there as well where our podcast will be appearing. And finally, we will still be doing our live mailbags every Sunday at 4 p.m. on the Locker Room app. Download the Locker Room app. You can follow me or Adam on there since we'll be the ones hosting. I'm at DFavalli2033. He's at Frommel09. We did have some feedback from the first one. It was mostly positive. Had a couple complaints um, that we let the live guests speak too long. We will address that moving forward, but we are committing to making this work because, one, we want to interact with you guys more who are listening to this podcast now. But also we want to open it up to other people who might just be using the the locker room app and discover us there. So please bear with us as we figure it out. But we will hone it again. We'll we'll try and make sure that we're limiting the the length of questions for that that we're giving people or the length of time we're giving them to speak. Excuse me. And we will always include some of your Twitter questions whenever you guys respond. It, it really it really is great, and we always appreciate that. Without further delay, though, let's talk a lot of Brooklyn Nets with Christian Winfield of the New York Daily News. Christian, welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast. Thank you so much for giving me more of your time amid um, a firestorm of, I guess it's not a firestorm, it's a mini storm of basketball news related to the Brooklyn Nets. But first and (laughs) foremost, how are you doing? You know, I'm good. Well, no, you know, I'm not good. You know why? Because I I went on the West Coast trip with the Nets 
and we had some, well, I went on, I went to Phoenix and LA with them and uh, amazing sunlight, you know, beautiful weather. And then I get back here and it's 28 degrees outside and it feels like 12 and I'm looking outside and it's sunny and I just know as soon as I step out the door, I'm going to get hit by some wind in the face and it's going to freeze my cheekbones off. So when you ask me how I'm doing, I'm not okay, man. I'm freezing. I'm cold, man. I want some warmth. As someone who needs to make the grueling commute from um, the house to the upstairs office I built for myself, built that I have above the garage, I can't build shit. Excuse me. Um, I can confirm <laughs> that it is incredibly freezing and windy outside in New York. So uh, I would bundle up and um, enjoy those cheeks while you have them. It's annoying, man. But I mean, at least I, I get to be cold while I'm covering uh, the Nets, man. They're they're just. It's crazy to see how this team has kind of transformed over the last two years to where now I'm covering superstars. The team's on a roll. Kevin Durant's not even playing. The team might get Blake Griffin and who God knows who else. I mean, <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? Like out of nowhere, we, it's like I'm covering the Monstars. It's ridiculous. Yeah, from where they were, even less than two seasons ago at this point, because that when they just didn't have, even when they were kind of good but they didn't yeah. have Kyrie and Kate like it's just night and day and let's just start there since I feel like by the time this goes live it feels like all the reporting is pointing toward Blake Griffin becoming a member of the Nets um, Jeez, man. on the one hand it's like could you imagine if set like saying this in let's say 2015 2016 that KD Kyrie DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin were all going to be on the same team but the actual question is what do you view his role if should he end up in Brooklyn how does he how does he help this team does he help this team Oh, man. I mean, when you think about the years where the Nets were winning 20 games, I mean, it was hard to imagine them getting to 25, right? They get into 30. They get into 35. And now we've got them potentially being probably going to end up being the number one seed in the East by the time this year is over. And then maybe maybe actually being NBA champions, right? It's kind of wild how this whole thing has happened. And because of the nature of which it happened, I, I've been getting kind of mixed reviews from Nets fans, right? Mixed feelings because on one end, it's like, hey, man, we've got a, a really good team that's going to go to the NBA finals. But on the other hand, it's like, hey, we didn't build this. We kind of bought it, right? Like, it's not like you developed D'Angelo Russell into an all-star and watched Karras LeVert grow into an all-star and had Jared Allen mm -hmm. become a defensive player of the year. You kind of sold those parts and, and you sold everything uh, for a championship. So it's kind of like bought, not built, you know? And, and I mean, obviously every Nets fan in, in existence is happy that their team is actually relevant and more than relevant, right? They're the story of the NBA and probably, I won't say probably, potentially could be a, a championship team at the end of the season. Um, but it, it's just been interesting to see how it all unfolds, right? It's kind of like, man, you're breaking basketball, right? Like, remember, we were having this conversation. Well, not you and I, but just in general, we were talking about when the Warriors had Steph, Clay, KD, Draymond, Iguodala, all these other guys. And people were like, hey, man, this team is, is unfair, right? It's like you can't even use them in 2K without, without being called a cheater. And now imagine <laughs> trying to pick the Nets in, in a video game, right? Like it's already a video game, and now you're going to go get a team that has five stars. And then, I mean, look, Spencer Dinwiddie's probably going to come back too, and he's a guy who could be an all-star at some point in his career. So uh, it's been a lot of fun to cover, um, and, and it's just been – it's it's refreshing to watch high level basketball. I'll tell you that, right? Because you've got guys out there who make the game, and this is what everybody on the team is saying, right? Like when you got James Harden come, he just comes in and makes the game easier for everybody uh, in ways that they didn't even know are possible. He's setting, he sees the floor, like, and I and I'm I'm victim to this, right? I did not have the proper. Uh, understanding or appreciation for James Harden's game until I got a chance to watch him compete on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and the man is just special, man. Just how he's able to find guys, uh, how he's able to just kind of 
manipulate a defense to his will. He's not as bad a defender as I once thought. You know, he actually tries out there and he can actually, you know, he's a smart defender, you know, and you get, you get a chance to see it when you watch him on a day-to-day. Um, so it, it's just been fun watching this team. Uh, and they're not even at full strength. I mean, Kevin Durant hasn't played, what, the last 10 games or so. Right, have um, they only, I think the three of them have only played seven games together. Yeah, so I mean, seven if you count the game that Kevin was pulled from, right? Well, he didn't oh, yeah. even get a chance to start, <laughs> right? And then he plays 19 minutes and then gets pulled. So it's really six and a half games. And I mean, look at them. They're, they're rolling right now without, I mean, when healthy, one of the NBA's three best players. I don't know where you have Kevin Durant on your power board, on your power rankings, but I'd assume it's something like LeBron, Giannis, KD, or something in that order somehow, some way. So, I mean, this team is special. It's special to cover um, mixed reactions from Nets fans, but at the end of the day, they're all happy because, I mean, they think about those years when they were at the bottom of the standings, man. They were the laughing stock of the team, I mean, of the league, right? Like it didn't get worse than being the Brooklyn Nets for a little while. And now it honestly doesn't get better than, than being the Brooklyn Nets right now. Yeah, the thought of having to beat them four times in seven tries is daunting. And I Oh, agree it's with- impossible. It's no. not happening. I'm, I, how do you do it? How do you stop James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving? You got to account for Joe Harris, who probably won't ever miss an open three if you leave him one. And then you've got lob threats like DeAndre Jordan. Nick Claxton is, is, is a threat now. And if you add Blake Griffin to that mix, and I don't want to hear that, oh, he's out of shape, he's uninterested. No, guys get into shape and get very interested once they join a contender. Look at James Hart, right? So how do you beat the – you don't beat this team. It's bad. It's very bad. And, and I'm, I'm waiting for the Nets broke basketball chance to break out because it's going to come because this team is just entirely too good. It's, it's the anti-parody team, right? Like they were, they found a way to, to get all the talent in Brooklyn. And uh, it's kind of ridiculous, honestly. I think there's I, – I agree with you that, that that thought is daunting being them four times in seven tries. But I, I still feel like if they want to be viewed as just like the foregone favorites, there's – there needs to be a move um, beyond Blake Griffin. And I think, you know, um, he'll be, he'll be in shape. He was, he was probably in shape with Detroit. It's just how much does he have to offer and what he's going to offer you though, is I assume they just view him as a backup five at this point, which is smart. And if he's hitting his threes and maybe he can give you some downhill juice, he just, he doesn't really get to the rim anymore, but the nets can space the floor, like basically no other team in the league almost right now. So I have no, uh, doubt that he's going to be should he be healthy just a really good offensive fit but this team defensively still makes me nervous and that's with the you know Nick Claxton has been you know talk about he's like a switchable firecracker just does so much else and it'd be nice if he could grab more rebounds I suppose I just don't know that uh it just feels like they're one body short not a high-end body but of just being those they could win it right now like just as is but defensively it feels like they're they're, they're a player short if they want to be, you know, I still think if they went into a seven game series with whether it's the Sixers, the Bucks, or you get to the finals with the Lakers, maybe it's the Clippers. I still feel like maybe they would be only slight favorites and that there's still distance between them becoming heavy favorites in setups like that. You know, the, and you say they're one body short. They are a, and this is the prototype of a player that I think the Nets really needed that they weren't able to get in the offseason. They're a, they're a Dorian Finney Smith short. Uh, of really being able to to solidify themselves as contenders they are that one tough uh interchangeable and maybe that's like a, a, you can say maybe that's kind of like a younger and i don't even think jeff green was the the dorian finney smith type mold but dorian finney so is a guy who can really defend a lot of positions uh and it's just really tough right and they and they need that toughness in the front court i don't think they get it and that versatility that he has that said though i mean 
Philly is tough. When you look at Philly, Joel Embiid, I mean, if I had to give my, if, if I, number one, if I ever had an MVP vote, uh, and number two, if I, would, if I was voting on some of these awards, Defensive Player of the Year, I mean, I think if, you, if there's a year to give a guy both MVP and Defensive Player of the Year, why not this year give it to Joel Embiid? I mean, It'd be what he's been able to do. two years in a row. I would way. love it. Yeah, I would love it, honestly, because Embiid is just so good. And we're, we're just seeing him take his game to another level uh, just in terms of his, in terms of just his, his sheer dominance, in terms of, of how he's been efficient from three-point range, what he's been able to do on both ends of the floor. And this is coming from somebody who hasn't really been able to watch much, much Sixers basketball because I'm knee-deep in Nets basketball every day. Um, the Sixers are a team, I think, that's kind of, I won't say tailor-made to stop the Nets because I don't think there is a team that's tailor-made to stop them, but they are, they pose the biggest threat to them because of their size, because of that five, right? Like the Nets have no answer for Joel Embiid. I don't think anybody has an answer, but if you thought DeAndre Joy was going to stop him, you thought wrong. Nick Claxton will get eaten alive. Um, Bruce Brown, Brown he's going to be chance. defending Joel Embiid next. Yeah, it's going to be tough for Bruce Brown. <laughs> I, I don't think he's going to play five in that matchup. It, it, it's just tough. And then you look at the Sixers roster. I mean, Ben Simmons can defend anybody on the Nets. Um, Tobias Harris is playing better this year. I love I love what he's doing. And they, they just have a team that makes sense. And Doc Rivers is, is tested, right? Like, Steve Nash is still a first-time head coach. Doc Rivers is a guy who's won a championship already. So, you know, I, I think that's that's going to be a, a good matchup for them. But I also don't think, you know, somehow, some way, uh, the Nets are going to find ways to add. I think we're going to see teams, we're going to see players just leave teams, try to get contract buyouts just in hopes of joining the Nets, right? Like, that happens every time there's a team that's a, a favorite championship contender. Uh, so even though we, we we're seeing Blake Griffin news, I, I think there's going to be some smaller move that might happen. Uh, the Nets have a couple guys on 10-day contracts. Um, I think that's Shump, uh, Andre Roberson, and Tyler Cook, who came up from the G League, but honestly, didn't, he never really had a chance to crack the roster. Um, I think they're going to free up some of those spots because you've got guys like a Blake or like maybe an Andre Drummond who are going to get buyouts and, and are going to look to join this team. It's going to be ridiculous, man. I mean, I'm not sure we're going to have seen, by the time this season is over, I'm not sure we're going to have seen uh, this much talent on one team, maybe in NBA history. I know people are pointing to the Warriors. Oh, they had Steph, Clay, Draymond, KD, Iguodala. Yes, but when you've got Kyrie, KD, James Harden, if you can add Blake Griffin, if you can, and you've got DeAndre Jordan, you still have Spencer Dinwiddie, you've got Joe Harris. I mean, the, the depth on this team is already crazy. And then you're talking about adding other stars. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, I was going to say it's bordering on unfair. It's not bordering. It is unfair at this point. I would laugh if Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin would wind up on the same team together again. That would be <laughs> a little hysterical. Hardwood Knox listeners, if you're like me, your foray into adulthood has not included thinking too much about the sheets on which you sleep. You've probably had the same set for years, perhaps since you were in college or something disgusting along those lines, and you just wash them, rewash them, and then throw them back on your bed haphazardly, I might add. Sleep on them, don't give them a second thought. Little might you know, though, comfortable sheets can make all the difference. And that's why there's Brooklinen. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without the luxury level markups. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and tastes. Brooklinen also has over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. They are so confident in their product that they even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. And Brooklinen is also so much more than sheets. They've got comforters, pillows, towels, even loungewear, and more. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code NOX to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code NOX to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. 
brooklinen.com and use promo code NOX at checkout. Do you, the, you know, and I don't want to get too much into like, oh, the moves that they need to make, but looking at Brooklyn, they don't have, when you, they have players they could move, but when you just consider um, the salary matching and you can't really move their, their four most expensive players are just too valuable to move. And Harris, Irving Durant, it's just not, and Harden, it's not happening. They're probably not, you're not going to move DeAndre Jordan because he's tight with um, KD and Kyrie. And so Spencer Dinwiddie's name has hit the rumor mill now. Do you expect that they will wind up moving him this season? Or do you think that, they might see value in one trying to bring him back next year, or maybe is it even thinking the long, long game where it's like, you know, if we resign him, maybe he becomes more valuable as a healthy trade ship on a longer contract. You know, that's a tough question. Um, here's one thing I do know. I, I know that Sean Marks at the beginning of the year basically told everyone that's not KD, Kyrie, DJ, um, Jeff Green. Everyone's available. Right. Like he's like, he told everybody, yo, you know, there's going to be trade rumors and we're going to do whatever is best to improve this team. I mean, when you look at this roster, you've already got two point guards. Now you've got James Harden, who's going to play the majority. Now, and that was the thing earlier in this season before the Nets traded for James Harden is okay. They're going to need Spencer to play that backup one because Karras is a two uh, and he can play the one, but he's not somebody who you put the ball in his hands and say, okay, generate offense time and time again spencer can shoulder that load but now you've got james and Kyrie, both of whom are capable right. of of playing that one both not even capable both of whom are all-star caliber offense initiators right so where does spencer fit in i mean when in the first few games of the season we saw him playing a little bit more off the ball but even on top of that he's he's ramping up to get his acl right and then he's gonna have to get into game shape we don't know how far along he is in terms of a timeline i mean it's tough. And, and then on top of that, we, the Nets aren't, aren't very forthcoming in what they tell the media in the first place as it no. pertains to injuries. And I'm not sure any team is. But where does he fit in, you know? And honestly, he fits in on the outside, right? Because number one, he's got to catch up to learning what it's like to play with these guys, to find the positioning. Um, number two, he's never really been the best spot-up shooter. And if you're going to play with guys like KD, Kyrie, and, and James, you got to be a knockdown shooter at least. And then third, you know, he's coming back off of a partial ACL tear, right? Mm-hmm. And and he wants to downplay how significant the injury is. And I get it. You know, if you think you're Iron Man and you can you can power through and come back to the floor this season, then by all means, go for it. But how much pressure can you actually put on that knee, right, before that thing caves again? And and not, not that I'm trying to speak that into existence, but there's just a lot of factors going on here. So and on top of that, he's he's going to be a, he could be a free agent next year, right? You got a player option that he could either turn down or accept. Um, there's a lot of factors at play. I'm not sure which direction it goes, but if I'm the Nets, I'm looking at ways to improve the roster because as of right now, Spencer Dinwiddie hasn't really given you anything because you know availability is your best ability, and he hasn't been available. So if you can flip Spencer Dinwiddie into one of those role player type of guys, I'm not sure necessarily maybe. I think I saw one report tying him to maybe a trade back to Detroit. I'm not sure what that looks like or who you get in return. But if you can get some depth, if you can get a wing that can defend and then and hit threes, right? That's that's the other thing, right? You've got Andre Roberson who can defend, but he can't shoot threes. You've got Iman Shumpert who hasn't been healthy, can defend, but also can't shoot threes. Can you get a wing, an actual three and D wing in in exchange for Dinwiddie? Maybe, probably, honestly, because Spencer's a great player in this league. Um, so if I was Sean Marks, I would look at that. But also. I think it's also another part of the story, which is Spencer played a role in getting Kyrie to come to Brooklyn, right? And Mm -hmm. and Kyrie brought KD with him. KD brings DJ, these guys, get James Harden, and now you might get Blake Griffin. You really don't want to have that. And then on top of that, it's you you kick Kenny Atkinson to the curb, 
kick D'Angelo Russell to the curb, kick Karis LeVert uh, and Jared Allen to the curb. Like, are you about to clear house and just kick uh, Spencer Dinwiddie to the curb next? And then what does that mean for Joe Harris? Who'd be the last in the net? I mean, there's so many different uh, storylines at play with the Dinwiddie thing, but um, I, I, honestly, I couldn't tell you. I have no idea whether he ends up on this roster in the playoffs or whether he gets traded for a role player. Yeah, there's... I think to move him realistically, you either need him to agree to opt in to next year's contract, which I don't think he'll do because uh, $12.3 million player option. You just look at the free agency landscape now. And if you write off, you know, assume Drew Holiday is going to sign an extension with the Bucks and Kawhi stays with the Clippers. Like there's just Spencer Dimity might still be a top five free agent. And so he's going Sheesh. to get paid. And so what you need in that case is a team that doesn't have cap space this summer who wants Spencer Dinwiddie's bird rights because that becomes what you're trading for if you're assuming he's not right. playing for this season. And it's tough to find – I think there are teams that could talk themselves into it, but, like, some of them are also slated to have cap space. And so it's like, well, why right. would you give up value? Um, the team I keep coming back to is Orlando. Is, yeah, I was just something around. Orlando. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you, you go ahead. I'm, I'm listening to you. Um, I was just going to say, is there something to be done with Aaron Gordon there, who I think you and I have identified would be a really good fit for this roster in previous conversations – I don't know what you need to attach because you're not getting him straight up, but um, you do have Landry Shamit. Uh, I think Nets fans have become very attached to Nick Claxton based off me, you know, suggesting a, a somewhat deal on this and something I was writing. They were pretty heated that uh, Nick Claxton was being traded for Aaron Gordon, but you do have things that I think could actually make the deal worthwhile for Orlando in the sense that they're a team that I don't think is ready to start over, but they're clearly going nowhere this year because Gordon's injured right now, but he's expected to come back soon. Um, Jonathan Isaac's out for the year. Fultz is out for the year. You just don't right. have wings or shooting or enough ball handling. And Spencer Dinwiddie takes care of a lot of the ball handling and shooting for you next year. And he's a great fit next to Fultz. So that's the team that I've like looked at and said, maybe there's something could be done, but you also don't just want to move Spencer Dinwiddie for the sake of moving Spencer Dinwiddie. I would rather yeah. maybe roll the dice and pay him. Even you know, you know, let's see, does Josiah care how much this roster costs? If he actually doesn't, you know, it's not gonna, yeah, it's an overkill, but just as you just mentioned before that you think people overthought the addition of James Harden, like let's not overthink um having a, a fringe all-star player on this roster who can create his own shot, create some shots for for others. And yeah, his, his efficiency can be wonky from the outside, but Spencer Dinwiddie is a is a fringe all-star. So I think you still need value in return. It's just that the market for him, I think there might be a deal there, but it feels like it's just going to be so finite because it's just such a specific set of circumstances right now, not just because his injury, but with that upcoming free agency. Yeah, you know, and on top of that, to your point about like potentially trading Nick Claxton, I mean, look, I do not put it past this this front office to do that. You know, if the right deal presents itself, I, I don't put it, you know, you have to make the deal that makes your team, that puts your team in the best position to win now. And while Claxton has a bright future, yes, and is a breaking out now. He's also I mean, played 20 you, games. And I don't even mean to drop yeah, it. Like, exactly. let's, you know, it's, let's, it's, this is not his timeline. They're a completely different yeah, timeline. They are. And, but I mean, like I mentioned, you know, this team has parted ways with other guys who have had more ties to the, to the mm -hmm. team, to the organization, who have actually broken out into all-stars, right? Like, we, we, we've seen this team trade guys in the past. That's why I was like, Yo, you, you can't put it past this team to trade Joe Harris, to trade to trade Spencer Dinwiddie, to trade Nick Claxton, to trade anybody, right? Because if the right deal presents itself, they've got to pull the trigger because it's, it's what's best for them. That said, you know, I, I'm still not sure what the right deal is. Um, and I'm also not sure, like I was mentioning, I'm not sure where the Dinwiddie fit is on this team where James Harden is playing 40 minutes a game at the point guard position. Kyrie is playing another 35 minutes a game. That's, what's that, eight plus 
13, that's 21 minutes a game that you give for Spencer, which I mean is fine, but then what's the value in having a guy playing 21 minutes and you're paying him this money as a contract extension coming up, but he's not really going to be able to shoulder the load that is supposed to come with the contract number that, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I think mm-hmm. at a certain point, Spencer also has pride and he wants to be like, Hey, you know, I can show teams that I can win. I can, I can run a team. You know, we've seen him do it. We watched him do it. Was that last year when Kyrie and, and Karis both went down for that stretch and Spencer basically put the team on his back. and was the only reason they made the playoffs. Like, I mean, He's a guy who's capable of doing that, and his fit in this team is still – I wouldn't say it's questionable, right, because he's a guy who can adapt to any situation. All these guys can. And I think his game is kind of tailor-made for adapting, right? He, he can defend a couple of different positions. He can play the one or the two, and I guess maybe in this NBA he could possibly play the three. Um, I, I think his, his – and he's an aggressive scorer. He can get downhill. He can do a lot of different things. He can make plays for his teammates, but you have to think, I mean – a guy with that skill set deserves an elevated role, right? And as you mentioned, he was a, a fringe all-star in past season, so or last season at least. So, you know, I, I'm not sure. I, I, that's one of the, the the question marks of this season. Does, does this team keep Spencer Dinwiddie? Do they trade him? Does he even make a return this year, right? Like as much as he wants to come back, it's 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 ultimately going to be up to the training staff and to the doctors and, and, and to the performance team and to the head coach and really to the organization. Um, so, and if he's not going to make the return this year, right, then do you keep a guy on your roster knowing he's not going to play at all? Or do you honestly do what the logical thing is and trade him for someone who can play? It's a tough situation. So, you know, I mean, that's kind of why Sean Marks is in the, is in the chair and I'm not right. Like he's got to make, he's got to pull the trigger on that deal. But if I was him, you know, I, I'd look at the deal that can get me back a, maybe a, a three, four combo that can shoot and defend and maybe a, 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 veteran backup point guard i'm not sure what team has that but if you can get those two things for spencer dinwiddie who's clearly worth the vet who's worth the trade uh when he's healthy I, I don't see why you don't do it yeah i guess the problem would be everyone is probably looking for the first player you described like that three four combo who could shoot right and defend right. Them. but the, i mean you brought up a great point i didn't really think about it is spencer dinwiddie at some point uh not only is he going to want to get paid, but like he's going to want to play. And so maybe this yeah. ends up being like a mutual thing where if they can trade him somewhere where he might get the opportunity to play this season or knows they'll have a larger role in his next contract. Um, is there, so I think what's interesting about this team is so you look outside their top four players and Harden, Irving, Durant, and Joe Harris, uh, there's a bunch of different players that they kind of need to rely on that maybe other teams wouldn't or just such wild cards are there yeah. among the let's say the non-stars or non-core pieces who has impressed you the most this season on Brooklyn um that's a great question um so the 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 non-core pieces right let's go down those I mean number one would be Jeff Green um he got hurt but number one I I, I feel like once guys start getting older start getting older we start to think that their athleticism is diminishing and Jeff Green is basically trying to dunk everything uh, and has been doing so successfully. And then he's just shooting lights. Out. I wouldn't say lights. I'll be shooting a very high clip from three. Um, and, and then on top of that, guys are just crediting him with just being a vet and then having that knowledge and, and, and just passing information down from what he sees from the sidelines. He's been out with the shoulder injury. Um, so it, it, number one, I think he's been a, a very key piece to this team's success. But beyond that, when you start to look at this team and the guys they rely on in that second unit, it's really a, a, a three-person unit, right? It's Timothy, Luau, Cabarro. It's uh, Landry Shamit and it's Bruce Brown. That's three. And the fourth would be Tyler Johnson. Number one, Bruce Brown has been great. Um, and he's really inserted. He's been starting more often than not. It feels like he's playing a, a huge role. And, and it's crazy because at the beginning of the season, he was getting no burn. And I would ask Steve, I'd be like, hey, Steve, you know, 
Bruce is a starter for two years in, in Detroit and can't get off the bench here in Brooklyn. Why not? You know, he's like, oh, he's got to develop as a playmaker, as a as a three-point shooter, yada, yada, yada. And then, you know, I personally, I, I can't say that I take credit for Nash actually putting Bruce Brown in the game, right? Like, I, I, I'm not going to be that delusional to think that I have that much of, a, of an impact on, on what a coach does. But, you know, I, I listen, you heard it here first. Him. Christian is responsible for all of Bruce Brown's listen, success this season. Listen, <laughs> I asked him every game, hey, you're going to play Bruce. Hey, you know, DMP for Bruce. You go play him. Hey, Bruce was a starter for two years and still is not getting any burn. <laughs> What's going on, coach? And you can ask all the Nets writers this. I, I, I hounded him about this. Throws Bruce Brown in the game. First game, he's the reason they win. And then he never, he never comes out of the rotation since then. And we've kind of just seen his growth. Um, now they've got him using him. They're using him as a roller. He's setting screens, rolling to the basket, and making plays. He's hitting floaters. Um, he's playing. He brings an energy to the team. It's kind of like a shump-like energy, a shump-like contagiousness on that defensive end. Um, and he's just he's just been great, man. It's been great to see him his success here. And I think he's the 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 number one. I know I said Jeff Green first, but Bruce Brown is probably the number one other guy outside of uh, KD, Kyrie, James, and and Joe that's really been able to make an impact. Um, but other than that, now when we start getting to the second unit, now we're looking at guys like Tyler Johnson, Landry Shamit, and, and TLC, and those guys have been largely inconsistent, right? I mean, Landry Shamit couldn't buy a basket to start the season, and then in February he starts shooting forty percent, and then he kind of falls off and hasn't been in. I, and and it's kind of been the theme, right? And honestly, these are why these guys are role players and not starters, right? Because if you're consistent every day and hitting threes, then you probably end up being a starter. And if you're not consistent in hitting those threes, then you probably end up being a reserve guy, like somebody that needs to come in off the bench and provide a spark. So those are guys that the team has been, I guess, in a way relying on that's helped them win some games, but also hasn't done them any favors in other games. And those are areas that the team has to improve, right? Like if you want to win championships, you've got to be able to rely on your guys that you're going to play one to 10, one to 11, one to nine, however many deep that you're going to go. And uh, right now, I think Nash has settled on a good 10-man rotation, right? We've got Irving, uh, Durant, James, um, Joe, DeAndre, Jeff, Bruce, right? That's seven. And then it starts to get a little murky after that. It's like, okay, well, maybe today we'll go with TLC, or maybe today we'll go with Landry, or maybe today is Tyler's day. And those three have kind of been interchangeable. So those are the three guys that kind of need to be a little bit more consistent for this team to really realize that and I won't say for this team to realize right because at the end of the day what they do is gonna lay on James KD Kyrie Joe DeAndre Mm -hmm. Jeff and Bruce but those three guys are really when the when the starters don't have it going they they really turn to that second unit and those three guys are the ones that that can either keep that team afloat or that's when people like me start writing the net second unit man it's not getting it done uh the the other thing I was gonna ask you too and you kind of alluded to it already is there have been times where TLC has usurped Landry Shaman in the rotation. Sure. And mm-hmm. I was just wondering, who do you think is more important to this team just immediately? Because they do, you know, there's the shooting for both of them. I think Landry Shamitz is a little bit, when he's on, more functional, and he could probably do more with the ball in his hands. But TLC, uh, what a find by them, by the way. Uh, yeah. He's played really well for them. But he's going to give you more defensively just by virtue of being 6'7". And he's shown that, I mean, sometimes he gets super hot, too. And, like, that. that's been – fun to watch. I'm just curious as to who you think is more important to them this season between TLC and um, Landry Shamit. Um, honestly, I think Landry is more important to Sean Marks because he had to trade that pick to get him, right? He traded the 19th pick in, in last year's draft to the Clippers uh, for Landry Shamit, who then traded that pick to the Pistons for Luke Kennard, right? So there was a whole, like, so now it's that like, Luke okay, Kennard trade TLC. for the Clippers, by the way, man. That's not looking so great for them. <laughs> yeah, right. 
And I think just as a byproduct of having to have given up something to get Landry versus finding TLC, it's signing him to a non-guaranteed deal, him exceeding it, and then you kind of locking him in for that second year. I think he only makes, what, like a million, 1.8 million this year or something like that. Um, I think there's there's just a natural need for Landry to, to kind of validate the trade that and that landed him here in the first place. Um, but TLC, I mean, just when you look at size, Right. And just his ability to defend multiple positions versus Landry, who's a little bit smaller and still is a tough defender, uh, but doesn't have that size. Right. Like last year in the bubble, we were watching TLC play small ball four. Right. And that just mm-hmm. gives you a little bit of versatility. And we're, we've seen TLC develop this year in his playmaking. I've seen him make pocket passes. I've never seen him make a pocket pass before this year. But now he's setting the screen, hitting the, hitting the roller with a bounce pass. I'm like, wait, is this the same TLC that I've seen in, in that I saw last year? And the answer is no. It's not the same player, but he's also inconsistent from three, right? He's got games where he'll go four for four, games where he'll go one for seven. So it's it's and that's just been the issue with all the Nets um, reserve guys. You know, it's it's not being consistent from three on a team where you've got three primary playmaking and playmaking scorers who, when they pass you that ball, you better be ready to shoot it. And and some games these guys are ready to shoot it, other games they're not. So you know, I, I look at Landry as a guy who has a history playing with superstars in the past right whether it be Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons uh, whether it be uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George or whether it be now Kyrie KD and 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 James you know he has history playing on on playoff teams versus TLC being a guy who's kind of new to this situation um, so I'm looking at Landry but I mean TLC's versatility also is a plus if he can hit those shots if he can't hit those shots you know I think I'd rather Landry be on the floor. What do you think happens with, and I guess it's, if they're going to add Blake Griffin, it sort of changes the calculus of it. How does the, let's say they add Griffin and then Kevin Durant comes back. Like, what does this center rotation look like? Are, are they just completely deciding that they'll never go to KD at the five arrangements and it'll basically be, you know, committee at center with DeAndre Jordan, uh, Nick Claxton, Blake Griffin at that point, Jeff Green as well. Or do you think if Blake Griffin's there, that that probably means that Nick Claxton is going to play less, uh, it's still very, even if they add Blake Griffin, it's still very confusing to look at their big man rotation and kind of figure out what's going to happen. The fact that we're just going ahead and assuming that they're going to add Blake Griffin is crazy because it's a fair assumption to make. Right? Like These guys might actually get Blake Griffin after you already got James Harden, after you got Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and, and DeAndre Jordan. It's kind of mind-boggling. It's still a lot to process. Um, I, I still think that you... You go with the the center who can do the most for you on the floor, right? And by that, I mean, I mean DeAndre's been good in spurts, but he can only give you but so many minutes uh, before you're getting a diminishing return on the minutes that he continues to play. Um, Jeff Green has been great for the team at center, but he's dealing with an injury. I mean, he's a guy who spaces the floor and still can defend multiple positions, but how do you trust him in a game against a guy like Joel Embiid? Can you play him at the five against him? Probably not. Cause I mean, but that's also, I mean, I feel like Joel Embiid is an unfair baseline, right? Because there are not every center is going to be an Embiid, right? Not every center is going to be able to dominate you mm-hmm. in, in certain ways. So, I mean, it gives the Nets a bunch of different options. Um, I still think they go with DJ or, or Jeff Green, uh, but even still you can run Blake Griffin at the five and put Jeff Green at the four. You can probably still run Blake at the four and put DJ at the five. Oh, and, and run Lob City back, right? You can probably still do that in a, in, a, in a world, right? They they still have, I mean that that chemistry that they had a, a once ago probably hasn't completely disappeared, right? So I mean there, there's there's options, you know. I still think DJ ends up playing the lion's share of those minutes. I still think Jeff Green ends up playing a lot of those minutes. I think we still see Blake Griffin play some minutes at the four, 
Um, but it's just a lot, man. How do you split those minutes up? You probably end up, I don't even know what you do with this team. If you end up getting Blake Griffin on this team, I think they end up starting. And, and this is a thing that I've seen in, in New York, well, in New York and Brooklyn. It's just, you know, they're going to put their best players out there. Right. So it's going to be I, I think in, if you end up getting Blake, you end up running with your best five, which is probably going to end up moving Joe Harris to the bench. You're going to start KD, Kyrie, uh, James, Blake and DJ. And oh, that, but really? also but also, can you just throw a guy like Blake into the starting lineup when he has no institutional knowledge of what this team wants to do when he hasn't been playing basketball because he's been trying to get his, himself out the game? So we don't know out of Detroit. So we don't know where his conditioning is. And that's been big in Brooklyn, right, Steve? Not anytime the Nets sign a new player, it's, oh, well, we want to see where his conditioning is before we actually play him. And then, boom, they end up waiting a couple of weeks before they actually play him. Um, and then we've got to see where his game is, right? Can he play and in, in, can he switch defensively, right? Can he space the floor? Is he still what, you know, people used to think Blake Griffin is or is he a shell of himself and can only provide but so much? So uh, I think a lot of it falls on what type of Blake Griffin the Nets are going to end up getting. If you're getting a Lob City version of the of, of Blake Griffin, then go ahead and start him. Uh, if you're getting a 15 points and six rebounds version of the of, of Blake Griffin, then maybe that's somebody you bring off the bench. I'm not sure, but I do know that this is a team that has kind of catered to its superstars whim. And obviously there's a totem pole here that goes KD, probably now James, then Kyrie, then DJ. Um, and then Blake Griffin will probably fall in line somewhere after that. But it's going to be, I won't say it's going to be tough, right? Because at this point, it's probably a, a rich person's problem, right? Or it's first world problems, right? You've got all this talent. What do you do with it? Um, but I think ultimately they end up, if, if you get Blake Griffin, I think you end up starting it. Wow, I did not expect that. I always just thought that it would make more sense. You could get by defensively better with him coming off the bench. And then I'm assuming, you know, it's it's so hard to like kind of I envision how the Nets will play at full strength just because they've spent so little time at full strength when you look at right. superstar specifically. But it feels like James Harden is gonna be the one that'll that'll play the most solo time, like sort of <clears> without <throat> Katie and Kyrene. So if you run those minutes with with Blake Griffin, that also makes his job easier on offense and maybe there's a lot of um, bench players around him. I actually did not consider the notion that maybe they would, they would start him. That would be uh, wild. And I would, I, if I was them, I probably wouldn't do it. But again, you have, you just have way more insight into this team than I do. Man, you know, I mean, I mean, think about it. If you saw, if you had five, I guess we'll call them stars on your team. Right. I mean, you probably end up starting them. Right. And then you figure out, okay, well, three minutes go by, take Blake Griffin out, put Jeff Green in, take Kyrie out, put Joe Harrison, right? And then, I mean, that's just the beauty of it, right? The Nets have so many different players that they've been tinkering with their rotations this whole time and adding Blake Griffin only adds another level to that tinkering, right? Like, and I think, and now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, imagine having that James Harden, uh, Blake Griffin on the floor with a bunch of shooters in between them. I mean, you put you put up a lineup like James Harden, Landry Shamit, Joe Harris, Jeff Green, Blake Griffin at the five, I mean, that's going to be tough to stop because, but that's also going to be how are you going to stop the paint, right? Like how are you going to defend the interior? If you've got that's a like team? a forty-eight minute problem for the next. Though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not that's not a that's not a ten minute stretch problem. That's definitely a whole game problem. But I mean, either way, their their defensive problems aren't necessarily going to be too terrible because I mean, at the end of the day, this is really bordering on a team that's going to be able to score two hundred points in a game. Um, and I, I think it's just ridiculous that we're, we're seeing this much talent assemble in one team there. And I, so maybe a better question for them is, and there's no one size fits all, but I think once you get to the postseason, um, you want to have sort of the go-to crunch time lineup. Like if you get into a close game and I think I would, 
my opinion would be they have four of those spots locked up with Harris, Harden, Kyrie, and KD. Who do you think would be the most common fifth alongside those four? Unless you, and if you disagree that maybe they, you know, three of them are locked up. Like we know that maybe you don't think Joe Harris will be in all those closing units. I'm just curious what you would think on how they round out the rest of those crunch time units. Um, I think it, it could, I think it's a game to game thing, right? Like Joe Harris could be one game. Bruce Brown could be the next, right? Depending on the matchup, DeAndre Jordan could be one game. Jeff Green could be the next, you know, Nick Claxton could have it going and you give it to, and you play him minutes. And that's one thing that Steve Nash hasn't been afraid to do is just tinker with rotations, right? See who's, who's the hot hand, who's got it going today. Who is the opponent playing? I think that's one thing that Steve Nash has also been trying to do is just match one guy's minutes with another guy on another team's, right? So if you're in a series against Philly and DeAndre Jordan is your best chance at stopping Joel Embiid, probably match their minutes, right? And I think that's how it's going to end up going, right? It's, it's, I don't think there's going to be any one-size-fits-all rotation that's going to close games for them. I think it's, okay, well, maybe we're playing the Lakers and they've got AD today and Nick Claxton happens to be the best profile for a guy who can defend him, or maybe it's KD, right? Maybe, maybe in a matchup against the Lakers, if, if AD's at the five, maybe you're running KD at the five and you're putting a bunch of shooters on the floor next to him with, with KD, with, with uh, James and, and Kyrie. I, you know, I, I'm not sure that there's, I, I'll tell you one thing. I think that their best closing lineup is going to be James, KD, Kyrie. And honestly, at this point in what I've seen, you, you put Bruce on the floor and you also put Joe Harris on the floor. Love right. It. And if you can and if you can if you can find a way to 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 get away with KD at the five and Bruce at the four and Joe and, and Joe at the three, Kyrie at the two and, and James at the one, then then do it. Right. But but also, like I said, you know, that boils down to who you're playing against. You're not going to play KD at the five. If you're playing the Sixers. Right. You're not going to play KD at the five. If you're playing. I don't know if you're playing the Bucks, maybe. Right. Like, I don't know how that's going to work. Well, maybe you can get away with KD at the five. If you're playing the Bucks. I, I, I mean, guess if they close Giannis you, at the five, but then it's yeah. like who on this team is defending Giannis. If you have Bruce Brown, yeah. like, do you trust him to do that? That's a, yeah. I mean, first of all, who real? so yeah, that's a, that's a, it's probably, it'd probably end up being Jeff Green guarding Giannis. I think. Yeah. And I think that's why he's going to end up playing a lot of minutes at the five because he's their most versatile defender at the five. And well, no, that's that's fine. I think Nick Claxton is their most versatile defender, but he's just so young and he's his body isn't filled out yet, and he has a ways to go in terms of IQ that it just makes sense to, that that Jeff Green is your best, I guess, front court defender in a way. And then there's yeah. still Kevin Durant, right? Like Kevin Durant is a, is an incredible defender when he's healthy. Um, it's just, do you want him getting trucked by Giannis every day? Do you want him to try to defend Joel Embiid? Probably not. You no, know, you'd rather have him on like Tobias Harris or Chris. Middleton. Yeah, exactly. Handle those guys. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, I think the Nets are in a, a situation where they're just going to mix and match and try to match up with whatever the, the opponents put out there. But in terms of the lineup that I think makes the most sense, I, I love the, the KD, Kyrie, Joe, Bruce, uh, and James lineup. I think that makes a lot of sense. I, what I need to see, assuming they don't move him by the time this podcast publishes, is Nick Claxton crunch time minutes in the finals. I just need to see how it happens. <laughs> yeah, no, that'd be amazing. Uh, I don't think that actually happens unless – well, I mean, and let me say that I don't think that happens because, you know, he's been playing well these last few games, right? I mean, you look at these last two games, I and mean, he had a career-high 17 and 17 minutes. The next game he comes out and puts 16 and 8 up in, in 16 minutes, right? So it's a guy who clearly can play. Everyone knows how talented he is, right? Like, you can see it. Uh, on both ends of the floor, you know, he's talking about shooting threes, but he's also talking about, you know, he doesn't really need to shoot threes because of how these guys play, right? Like if you're the five and you're playing with James Harden, you better be in that dunker spot, be ready to catch the ball and be ready to score, right? So his role really is to is to pick role and to, and to be around the basket uh, and, and really to defend. And he's been able to do that. But for him, 
a lot of it is, you know, he hasn't played basketball in, in basically a year, right? Because he didn't play in the Orlando bubble, had knee tendonitis, didn't play this entire year up until the last three games. So he's still working his way into game shape. And then he plays three games, he's getting his way into game shape. And now he's got a week off because of the All-Star break. So he's kind of got to get himself, he's got to get his win back. Um, but I, I love Nick. Now, I love what he's been able to add. Um, I love what he brings. He works hard. You know, you hear guys talking about it. Um, and he's a guy who wants to, you know, as much as he says that, you know, this team doesn't really require him to shoot threes, he really wants to get that three ball off because he has confidence in it. I need to, you know, I, I'll believe it when I see it. But he, he, he talks a good talk about his three ball and about the work he puts in. And if he can add that to his game, also, along with being a, a, a capable defender and a great roller and finisher, uh, I think he's going to have a bright future. That's another reason why, you know, you know, we made a lot about the Jared Allen trade. You know, and, and rightfully so. I mean, I don't know if you saw the highlights coming out of Cleveland, but he, but Jared is starting to look like Giannis out there going full court with the ball. And, and yeah, I mean, he's got court. like the the <laughs> like he can pass a little bit better too when he's on the move. Yeah, now. he's gonna be good. He's great, and, and that's part of the reason why a lot of Nets fans and, and and myself as well. You know, I'm looking at the James Harden. I'm like, man, there's no way you could get Harden without giving up uh, Allen. And obviously, the answer is no, right? You keep Jared. Yeah, did what he healthy, Jared. maybe right? But yeah, but he's out I, of even the fold, still. Yeah. Um, but when you look at a guy like Nick and what he brings, I mean, Nick is probably two years away from being able to start in place of, of DeAndre Jordan. Right. And and think about how scary that is. If you can have KD, Kyrie, uh, James, probably two years older at that point. And then Nick Claxton, who is now shooting threes, probably has filled out his body a little more, is smarter, can defend four positions um, and is a, a ferocious finisher at the rim. I mean, He's got a bright future ahead of him. It's just a matter of whether that future is in Brooklyn or whether it's somewhere else. Do you know the origin of why he has the Slim Reaper nickname on Basketball Reference? Did KD Ooh. just decide, I want people to stop calling me that so you have it? Is that what happened? <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that was a thing. I, had no I didn't know it was a thing either. I stumbled across it, and it, it makes me – it's unsettling. Wow. <laughs> Did they really? I now I gotta ask Kevin. I'm like, hey, you know, Kevin on basketball reference, you know, Nick's nickname is the Slim Reaper. Did you do something to make that? That's crazy. I didn't know that was a thing. Yes, I, if if possible, I'm gonna need the genesis of that. So I need maybe I at least I'll like a 2,500 word feature or something on it. I'll see. I'll see what I can do. I don't know if the Daily News will let me write 2,500 words about anything, but I can try to get you five. <laughs> I can try to get you 550. Um. So. This, I don't want to shift this back to the James Harden trade, and there's still a lot to see about this team at full strength, but there's a level of vindication already for Brooklyn with the trade, right? Not just because of how well Harden has played, but the thought process here was he's another player who can literally uplift whatever's around him, where if you have yep. James Harden and competent basketball players, you're just a 50-win team. And now yep. that KD has missed so much time, it sort of adds value to the thought like, oh, maybe I know the season's weird and he was in the league's health and safety protocols for a while, but he's dealing with a hamstring injury right now. And Kyrie Irving is hardly a billboard for you know good, good physical health when you look at his injury track record, even if he's not <laughs> dealing with anything chronic. So it almost like we, we're seeing the value of James Harden unfold immediately, not just because, again, of how he's playing, but of how the availability of the stars in general have just shaken out. You know, I got a chance to watch that happen because – like I said, you know, I was in Phoenix uh, for the Suns game, and that was a game Kyrie didn't play in. Obviously, KD didn't play in. And the Suns were up 24 in the second quarter, and James Harden just goes nuclear, goes for a 38.11 assist game, hits a step back three in the last seconds of the fourth quarter and wins that game for them, for them right? So at that point, it's like, whoa, you've got a guy who can win you a game against a team where, honestly, the Nets are supposed to lose that game. The Suns are good, right? You've got Devin Booker, so you've good. got – 
Yeah, you've got Devin Booker, you've got Chris Paul, you've got all these other pieces, DeAndre Ayton, all these guys. And they find they somehow lose that game because James Harden goes crazy. Um, and, and this is kind of the value that you add in a season where guys are getting hurt, right? Because uh, honestly, my 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 take on it is I think guys are getting hurt because they had so much time off. If you didn't go to the Orlando bubble, you had that time off. Um, and then for things to just ramp up so fast or barely get a week of training camp in and then be asked to play real minutes of basketball when you haven't really been playing all year, I think obviously you're going to get injuries that come across. Uh, and then obviously the health and protocol, um, the, the health and safety protocol, you're going to have guys in and out of the rotation for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, so you want to kind of stack guys that can do as much as possible. Uh, and James Harden is a guy who can do that. And it's crazy because like I said earlier, you know, I didn't really have the level of appreciation for his game when he was in Houston that I probably should have. You know, I was one of those guys who was like, oh, James Harden is not not good in clutch. Uh, iso ball, you know, what I'm saying dribble, dribble, shoot, step back, shoot, uh, bail out passes at the end of the shot clock. These are all things that I, I've either thought to myself or I've tweeted or I've wrote or I've written. And now I'm looking at it and I'm like, whoa, this is a guy who literally can bend the defense to his will, knows what the defense is going to do before it actually does it, knows where his teammates are, makes the right decision more times often than not. And his turnovers only come from trying. His turnovers don't come from from really like doing dumb things on the floor. He's trying to. His, the turnovers are are coming from him trying to feed guys that sometimes aren't ready for the feed, and he is just going to end up getting that turnover because he made the pass versus the ball bouncing off of somebody's foot or bouncing off of somebody's hands because they weren't ready for the pass. Um, he, he's really just been amazing. I honestly think he's an MVP candidate. Um, but if I had to vote, I'd probably give it to Joel Embiid again because of just how dominant he's been able to be. But, I mean, just the fact that he's in the MVP conversation at all again this season after how things played out in Houston, coming to a new situation and just basically taking over. Um, testament to his game, how far it's come. Um, and I, honestly, I think for him, this is nothing new, right? It's what do we get from James Harden in the playoffs that, we gotta, that we've got to look into, right? Like, what are we going to get from James Harden when the game's on the line? Uh, in crunch time is he going to make the shots is he going to make the right decisions and honestly at this point he doesn't have to because you've got guys like KD and Kyrie right so it's a win-win situation for him man I think he's he can win an MVP this year and and then only have to score 20 points in the playoffs for for the Nets to win it all right and that's kind of crazy you've got a guy who's making 40 something million dollars in a year and all he's got to do is give you 20 points and 10 assists in a game and, and you're good it's it's it, the Nets are in a great place, man. It's it, it's ridiculous, and it's been fun to watch. It's interesting to wonder where James Harden would be in the MVP discussion had he been traded either before the season or even just like a month or something earlier, like a few weeks earlier. Because for me, and I'm sure this might be, maybe I'm just getting too old and I'm yelling at clouds here, but like I can't vote <laughs> someone for MVP when he sort of just undermined the beginning of his own team season. And I think the bigger thing there is too, you know, the, that first. Um, however many games it happened and the the margin in the MVP discussion right now is so thin that you're going to have to split microscopic hairs where you have to. And that's just one of the things yeah. that I think, you know, when you look at Jokic or LeBron or, or Embiid or even a case like if, if Steph and Dame and Giannis are going to be in it, I just feel like that's what's going to end up pulling him out of the discussion. However, think about how wild the MVP discourse would be right now had he begun or, you know, been traded to Brooklyn five games into the season or something. That's interesting. I, I kind of look at the other way around, you know, before Harden came to Brooklyn, I mean, that team was kind of in shambles defensively, you know, offensively, they were still all over the place. Uh, you had guys in and out of the lineup and kind of guys being in and out of the lineup still while James Harden has been constant helps his MVP conversation in a way, right? Because 
he's been healthy, right? He's been constant for the team, and he's been kind of the, rest of the reason why the team has been able to win a lot of games. If you take James Harden out of the equation and Kevin Durant still misses all these games with a hamstring, I highly doubt this team goes, forget an eight-game winning streak, forget winning 10 of their last 11. I mean, I don't even think they win four, let alone five of those games, if it's not for James Harden, right? And now this team is second in the East, probably the best team in – I mean – I don't think it's unfair to call them the best team in basketball when you look at how much talent they've got, when you look at how hot they are getting into the all-star break. And when you look at who hasn't been playing, right? Kevin Durant hasn't played, what, 10 of the last 11 games or so. Um, I think James Harden, I think, and I can't, I don't know how many more times I'm going to say this, but I mean, he's just been amazing, right? Everything that he's been able to do in Brooklyn um, while also, and I think, I won't say it flies under the radar, but I mean, look at what he did for people in Houston when that snowstorm hit, right? Just giving meals back, meals to the community, helping rebuild homes. I mean, he's a really good guy in general. And then uh, also in, somehow an even better basketball player. Um, I, I think he does have a, a, a legitimate case for MVP. I just know me personally, um, <laughs> the way Embiid is playing. I, I don't know what it is with me. I think I just have a, 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 a thing for just like, utter dominance, right? Just being able to impose your will on someone else. And, and I think Joel Embiid is probably the closest thing we've seen. And I don't want to say the closest thing we've seen to Shaq because they had kind of two separate games. And where yeah, I need to see Shaq hit a pull-up three-pointer first. Yeah, <laughs> right. But just in terms of that low post dominance and, and, and defending the paint and, and just the, the – he just brings a different level of excitement to the game, right? Like I remember having a conversation with somebody else before, like who's more marketable, Devin Booker or Joel Embiid? And I was like, you know, I think Booker's going to be great and all, but I think Embiid is the most marketable big man we've seen since probably since Dwight Howard, right? When Dwight Howard was was in Orlando and he was also a personality down there in Orlando, I I think Embiid is really just something else. So he'd be he'd get my vote for MVP if I had one, but can't be mad at anyone that votes for James Harden because he's just he's basically just come to Brooklyn and give them giving them a steady, uh, really just a steady diet of winning, right? And that's something that. That uh, that DeAndre Jordan said not so long. He's like James just does whatever it takes to win, right? And, and you've got somebody on your team that you can rely on to get you that win. Yeah, it's funny how just discourse changes when a player requests a trade. It's totally unfair. And I yeah, still, I think there are legit questions. You brought up the playoff stuff, and I know ESPN Zach Lowe did like a deep dive into there are genuine questions about James Harden's playoff performance. That's just a non-issue in Brooklyn. But the larger thing to me is yes, I also think it was fair to question like okay, he had issues with Dwight Howard and then Chris Paul. It seems like the Russell Westbrook stuff ended amicably. He just didn't want to be in Houston anymore, so that's fine. So those are fair questions, but like we can't pretend that James Harden was all of a sudden hated by all of his teammates or that he was a terrible teammate or something just because he requested out of Houston or players who hadn't, you know, DeMarcus Cousins comes into Houston, hadn't really played with him, and he's frustrated at the situation, which he had every right to be, but like that's right. just a dynamic that wasn't established. So it's, it is frustrating how the discourse and perception of – players change um when the trade demand comes into play and that you know it should be separate from whether you think the trade demand is fair um or not because like james harden is not yes he's had problems getting along um we're fitting it seems like with certain co-stars but he's just never been billed as just this terrible teammate and he's also you know and i think i got caught up into this aspect of it the cost and that's paid he's just he's a top five player and perennial just yeah. mvp candidate like you can't overthink these things sometimes yeah yeah you know and, and it would have just been I think it just would have been a disaster if the Nets let the Sixers get James Harden. Imagine if the Sixers end up getting James Harden and keeping Joel Embiid. I, I, I think that situation would have just been disastrous for Brooklyn. But I don't think that was ever on the table, um, you know. And it's funny just to to watch how. And I won't even say I won't even say it. I, I'll say it like this, you know. Harden even said himself, you know, he wishes some of the things that he did 
in Houston to get out of there. You know, he wished he didn't have to do it. But at the end of the day, you know, they probably wouldn't have traded him as soon as as they did had he not done what he did in terms of saying, you know, I was in the situation that can be fixed and whatever else he said. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that, that situation was wild. I was like, oh, no, nah, they got to get him out of here now. But, I mean, you've got to do what you got to do to get traded, right? Like, if he doesn't do that, we might still be – he might still be in Houston now, right? Like, we, we never know. So, you know, I, I think that he – yeah, I think him owning up to it as, as well and, and not shying away from that uh, conversation helped him a little bit because he was like, you know what, like, he had to do what he had to do to get out. And at the end of the day, you know, some of these teams just aren't going to move on your timeline unless you force them to. So he had to do what he had to do, and, and I get it. But at the same time, I mean – just look at look at I don't think there's ever a version of the James of the of the Kyrie KD Karis Levert Spencer Dinwiddie uh Jared Allen Brooklyn Nets that do what this the rendition of this Brooklyn Nets team is doing right now because I mean this team just looks special they have talent uh out the ass and back um and it's just like I said before it's just been fun to cover this team and I just can't wait for people to start calling them the villains because if they get Blake Griffin I mean I mean, they're it's the villains. Bad. Yeah, I mean, they are the villains. They're, they're, and it's going to get worse if they get Blake Griffin. It's going to be even worse when they sign, whenever they use whatever. I guess they might trade Spencer Dinwiddie to get somebody else. And they're going to have, they still have another exception they can use to get. So like they, they have different mechanisms. To get. You know, they did what Danny Ainge was supposed to do with the Celtics, right? Like the Celtics were supposed to siphon off those assets and build around James, uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Uh, they failed to do that. And now you've got Brad Stevens looking like Kenny Atkinson had he had all his draft picks. Like, it's bad. And, and yet you've got in Brooklyn, you know, guys who have turned not having assets into now having a, a super team pretty much. And uh, it's just been crazy to see how it's all transpired. Two very quick questions before I get you out of here. Uh, and me. We, we haven't talked about him much on this pod, which is wild. Kyrie Irving. Just averaging right. 27 and six, basically slashing, you know, 51, 40, 86. What has been your impressions of his fit with with um, James Harden so far? Uh, it's been, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this: it wasn't the the most seamless fit um, because you've got a guy in Kyrie who's going to be an aggressive scorer, right? Like he's going to, to get his shots, right? One way or another, he wants to leave his impact on the game, uh, and for good reasons. He's, he's one of the most gifted scorers that we have in this league, and he's just fun to watch, right? Like you're paying him. What is it? Four years, one or one forty-six. Paying him one hundred forty-six million, not just because he gets twenty-seven points, because of how he gets that twenty-seven points. I mean, he can break a guy's ankles, go up with one arm, come up with the under, go go under, come up with the other hand, throw it off the the high right side of the backboard, spin it off that, he gets you the foul and one right. Like, and it's just crazy. Um, but I think that relationship took time because they had to kind of figure out, okay, well, all right, well, let's let James play the one because he's clearly a gifted passer, and we'll let Kyrie play the two because he's clearly a gifted scorer. And ever since they kind of made that transition and, and kind of assigned roles uh, from the top down, it's kind of been better since then. You know, like James, is, James said himself his job is just to make everybody's life easier. And he makes, that, he makes Kyrie's life easier because he knows when to get on the ball. He knows when to get everybody else involved. And Kyrie knows when to shoot because whenever he's got the ball in his hands, he's going to try to make a play. So I think now uh, versus at the beginning of the year when they were trying to figure it out, it's a lot better. Um, and I think that that assigning the roles of having James as the one and Kyrie as the two uh, really helped them a lot. And my final question would be, so removing Spencer Dinwiddie from the equation, who's the most likely sure. player on this team to get traded if the Nets make him over the deadline? Woo! Um, sheesh. Part of me, I'm, I'm always going to be a conspiracy theorist, so Love part it. of me thinks, okay, well, are you just playing Nick to drum up his value to get him traded somewhere? 
right? Like, are you going to package him with Dinwiddie to, to get somebody back? Like, I don't know, like, in the, probably not Aaron Gordon. I don't know who you would do that for, do that with. But, I mean, you've got guys at the end of the bench, right? Like, you've got guys like TLC, Shamit, and, and, and Tyler. I don't even know if you want to trade. You know, this is a team where it's like, well, you're not going to trade your top five. You're not going to trade any of your five starters, right? Let's just let's call those out. You're not. You're probably not trading uh, Kyrie. K- well, you're not. Not probably. You're not trading Kyrie, KD, uh, James, DeAndre. You can't trade because he's friends with those three, and honestly, his trade value isn't that high for his salary. Um, and and I mean, you could trade Joe, but what are you getting in return, right? Like, what are you getting that validates trading? one of the NBA's best shooters, right? Probably not something that's going to, you're not going to get an equal value back. So then you go down the line. Okay, well, are you going to trade Bruce Brown? Probably not. He's not making enough money to where the player that you get back in return would would replace the value that that goes out for him, right? I think he's only making like $3 million this year. So what other $3 million or $4 million player are you going to get in return that gives you equal or greater value than you're getting from Bruce, right? So you're probably not trading him. Let's go down the line. You're not trading Jeff Green. Um, and then who else do you even have? Then, then you get down to Nick Claxton, uh, Chris Chioza, Tyler Johnson, TLC, and Landry Shamit, right? Uh, I honestly don't really see those. Well, I mean, you could theoretically try to package those last three, those, those reserve shooters that we were talking about earlier that aren't very consistent and try to get one that is a consistent shooter, right? But like where you, those consistent shooters are hard to find, right? And if you find one, teams probably aren't trying to trade them unless you find one that's on a, on a losing team, right. And they need some draft assets. Right. So, but the nets also don't have any draft assets to give up because you traded all them to get James Harden. So it's tough. Um, I think that if they do make a trade, their only attractive assets at this point are Spencer Dinwiddie and Nick Claxton. And if you, I mean, that's an attractive draft package, right? I mean, that's, a tra- that's an attractive trade package, right? You put Spencer Dinwiddie and Nick Claxton together. I mean, in 2K, that's probably going to get you back with like a three and a half to four star player in return, <laughs> right? Like that's that's probably how that works, right? So what three and a half to four star player can you get in return for trading a Dinwiddie and a Claxton? Uh, and then you could even throw in a, a TLC or a Shaman or, you know, so I think that's probably where we look, right? You look at those five players at the bottom of the rotation. Uh, well, not really at the bottom, right? Because Nick Claxton is making his way up there. But if, if I had to bank on someone getting traded, it's either going to be a combination of Spencer and Claxton for a, like I said, a three and a half to four star player, or you start tinkering with some of those other guys or some of those TLC, uh, Shamit, uh, or Tyler Johnson guys. And honestly, at this point, I don't think you get much in return for them. So I don't even see a trade happening there. My guess would actually be um, Shamit, just because okay. you have TLC and you have Joe Harris and all this other offense. And so if you do Shamit, who has another year on his rookie scale, plus Dinwiddie and maybe it's a you know I think you have to do a bigger return like like an Aaron Gordon type player or someone close to it um that, it just feels like at this point that's the only move that the Nets can actually make is like a medium size swing where they don't have the really the the, sm- the small time salary filler to make those like smaller moves for a player who's like you know six or seven million dollars unless they're looking to cut payroll and moving Dinwiddie anyway uh but they're going to be fascinating regardless of what happens with with Blake at the trade deadline uh Christian thank you so much for giving me your time as usual uh, everyone, you need to follow him on Twitter if you're not already at Crisp Slash. That's at K R I S P L A S H E D. He does a great job yes, covering the Nets and the NBA for the New York Daily News. TV star Christian Winfield <laughs> at this point. <laughs> My man, appreciate you for having me, man. Anytime you need anything, Nets, Knicks, NBA, hit me up. Well, no, honestly, I don't even know the Knicks as much as I used to because I'm knee deep in Nets stuff. I don't even have time to watch them. All I got you need to, to know is that yesterday. 
is that Frank Nielakina is a stud, and that's <laughs> we just move on. Right, he's a shooter now. He's a shooter yeah. now. He's shooting, boy, what is he shooting? Sixty percent from three in his last eight games. I mean, look at him. It's sustainable too. It's just perfectly sustainable. <laughs> My God, thanks for having me, man. Anytime. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.